people want to have authoritative experts help them. We don't live in a world of generalists anymore. Generalists, they're commoditized. So how do you, how are you perceived as an expert? Because other people say you're an expert. Everyone says you're an expert. That's what other people tend to believe. So really, it's a perception game. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, it's Adam here, and thanks so much for tuning into the show today. Now, before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to let you know how you can get hold of a free copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing, because inside you're going to find 10 golden rules for B2B and professional service firms that consistently create client sales opportunities and drives revenue growth. And you'll find out how to do all of that using professionalism, ethics, and good manners. So what you can do to get your free copy is go to the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And when you get hold of the book, what you're going to discover is a simple strategy to ensure that you consistently have a full calendar of motivated and qualified ideal potential clients who want to discuss doing business with you. And what I'm literally doing is giving away the exact entire strategy that my clients pay thousands to implement with them. Not only that, I share throughout the book links to templates, frameworks and workbooks that you can use to actually implement this strategy and get results. And it's all for free, no strings attached. In fact, there isn't even an opt-in. So please make sure you go and grab your copy on the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And if you want to grab some of the other gifts and resources that I offer there, please help yourself. So I hope you go and get the book. I hope you read it. And more importantly, I hope you do something with it. And when you do, I'd love to get your feedback on the results that you've got. But until then, let's get to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, there's few terms out there that raise the irritation of the buzzword police more so than thought leadership. I mean, what exactly is thought leadership? Well, I actually looked this up on Wikipedia and uh, they actually call it business jargon. But what they do is they define it as content that is recognized by others as innovative, covering trends and topics that influence an industry. Okay, so influencing an industry sounds pretty good, right? But why should anyone selling B2B consider adding thought leadership to their marketing toolkit? Well, one of the best ways to establish authority on your topic is to produce deep research on the subject, allowing you to present a depth of knowledge that no one else has. This allows you to define the category of your solution or brand from a client-led perspective. I mean, after all, branding is all about being associated with specific needs of your ideal clients, right? But rather than give you some sort of theoretical rhetoric on the value of thought readership for you know, actually growing a B2B business, I've brought on a guest today who's going to bring this to life with an actual real-time example of thought leadership in action and how he is using it to grow both his business and his personal authority and brand. Now, he's the founder of Curve, a modular growth marketing consultancy where he spends his days helping FTSE 250 and funded startups to navigate the perilous waters of growth and marketing. Now, his digital strategy and commercial expertise have been instrumental in the growth of brands, including Investec, Nutmeg, Funding Circle, Market Invoice, and Innovation Incubation Projects with Canon and HomeServe. So going through that list, I'm sure you will be able to start to see that my guest today has an awful lot of experience and a huge amount of value to share today. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, Oren Greenberg, onto the show today. Oren, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. No, you're absolutely welcome. So, um, 
Yeah, this whole idea, and we've we've had a bit of a conversation on this idea of thought leadership and the piece that we're going to go through. Um, you've actually been kind enough to to run me through exactly what you've done. And first of all, it is impressive for a marketing geek like me and the pair of us. You know, we geeked out a number of times on uh, on a few things, and and what's contained within that, it's is pretty phenomenal. But before we go on to exactly what is in that piece of thought leadership. Why don't you sort of take me back and what got you started in the world in which you operate in the industry that you operate today? Yeah, sure. So um, said about 17 years ago, I was a 3D animator and I couldn't find work. So I went on to indeed.co.uk and I looked up 3D animation and I looked up marketing and there were eight available roles for 3D animation and about 4,000 available for marketing. And I was like, well, uh, I can guess that decision has now been made for me. And um, yeah, I started working in kind of digital agency, kind of as a generalist, broad skilled. And then I saw Google and I saw the rise of search marketing and I thought this company is going to go somewhere. And I think specializing in search marketing made sense. I think that was a smart move. And then I started um, specializing in SEO, ranking for super competitive terms and bingo, payday loans, you know, top 10. The UK got top rankings for top keywords. And I guess it's just kind of spiraled since then. And I've kind of broadened out my skills to more strategic capacities and advising nowadays. Um, I still get very tactical. So you know, I think yeah. I have to keep the, the tools and the kit kind of sharp and make sure I'm delivering value. It's, um, it's not all conceptual and, and like fluff, you know, I really, at the end of the day, businesses need return on investment from their marketing. And what I, my job is really to, to make sure I know how to deliver on that and do my best to achieve that. Mm. And would you say over that? I mean, it's funny actually. I've uh, I think uh, we, we've got a similar amount of time in the industry. Seventeen years. I say I've been fishing in the marketing waters for seventeen years, but that just fits my fishing thing. But um, uh, would you say that over that time that you've developed any kind of um, like superpower that you think is the thing that you really bring to a client or a business that is something that not many people out there have? Mm. Interesting question. I see myself as very niche. So I guess having worked in so many VC backed businesses, I've been immersed in, in specific methodologies and, and ways of doing things which are very data heavy, very performance marketing heavy, and really about scaling gross teams. And that tends to be where my most exposure and experience is. So quite niche. And I guess I've gone quite deep in that little bubble. Um, I think because I've also got quite broad experience in B2B and B2C, I've got almost 11 years in B2C and about six years in B2B where the last six years I've been doing first. Um, it's a bit more dominant on B2C, but, but actually funny enough, my client mix right now is 60% B2B. So mm. I don't, I come across a lot of marketeers who think they can do both, but don't understand the nuance of how different they are, but they're really distinctly different. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, this, I think, this is a bit, this is a show sort of like on B2B, but I, I, I can't sort of let you off the hook there without sort of asking you just to sort of give a highlight of what some that. of those nuances. Yeah, that'd be interesting to hear from your perspective. Mm-hmm. I think B2C marketers don't really understand the pressures or complexity of the sales team. And what they don't understand, the sales team are very time poor and they need qualified leads, like highly relevant, qualified prospects to, to, to build out the pipeline. Marketeers don't think in this way. Marketeers' intuitive sense is how do I create a creative message? How do I broadcast on a specific channel? How do I build a funnel? It's They're looking at numbers, they're looking at analytics, they're looking at volume. But a sales rep, you know, most sales rep you work with, they're not good at this. They're not, build, they're not good at building automations and building CRM. They're not good at thinking systematically and methodologically about marketing. They're definitely not thinking about experimentation and how to iterate their testing. What they're thinking is, I need to hit the phone, I need to talk to as many prospects with a partner to hit my pipeline to get my bonus. And that's really what they're focused on now. I think, I mean, they're very shrewd, they're very sophisticated, but they're very specialized. I think marketing doesn't understand the specialization of sales. And I don't think sales really cares about the specialization of marketing because sales, sales are very, very focused. It's very, very myopic. It's very target oriented. Marketers tend to be very expansive, more creative, more, I think that's where the fluff comes from with the idea. I think it's part legacy and it's part the nature of the personality. And, you know, most mm. general marketeers, they're, you know, they're brought in and manage the social media, manage Twitter, and we need to tweet to be heard. And that's the perception of most people of what marketing is. They don't realize that the, the, the most effective businesses in the world, which is who, who scaled up and grown from Pinterest to Uber, et cetera. They're incredibly scientific about how they drive and think about marketing. And it, that's yeah. not the reason they've grown. It's part of the reason that they've grown. 
they had an amazing product, but you that's not enough. You have to facilitate growth, and you can't do that if you have a fragmentation in one area of the business. Yeah, that's 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 interesting, and 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 I I sort of talk about that in a way that you know, marketing and sales they tend to be like cats and dogs. You know, they they fight all the time, and um, they they don't often sort of get on because. I think a lot of the times it's it's actually a bit of a failure of a business sometimes to not align the outcomes and the objectives and the goals of both sales and marketing to going after the same thing. I think that is one thing that in a lot of businesses, if they were able to unravel the history of the, you know, the fighting or the, or, or just not being able to align the two together so that there is a common objective so that the sales people are regularly giving feedback but constructive feedback and the marketing people are always asking questions because the best marketing will come i've often found from a from a sales team or a customer service team because they are talking to the customer and they get the voice of the customer far more than a a marketer sitting behind his computer and just sort of guessing right and um i often say that some of the best um i I used to do this when i was in the corporate world and 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 i was sort of training junior marketers i would tell them to go and sit with a telesales team for um for a couple of afternoons when they were just getting to know what was going on because you actually then get to hear and listen in on some of the calls and what the customer is saying and all that kind of thing. So I think there is that is a common thing I think that is a massive difference. But yeah, I mean I also hear something in there and and I asked you about your superpower, but I think what I've heard in there is is a little bit more of an insight into what that superpower is in terms of looking at marketing from the perspective of the science and the numbers and i've got a bit of an insight because of what we've spoken for uh, spoken about before but not everyone looks at it in the way that you do and i think that brings us on nicely to um the actual you know the, the, the sort of topic of this podcast which we talked around thought leadership why don't you give us the quick sort of an overview of this piece of thought leadership that you've created and yeah. then we can go into how you're using it in your business. Sure. So I think the context was, I was actually frustrated about the content that I'm producing. And it's funny because I get positive feedback about my content and it works. It does, it does its job. My network sends me messages. I get lots of new leads. I get like five, six leads a week here on Stack. But I always, I really want to deliver more value because the more value I deliver, the more value I'm going to create and, and more people are going to come to me to create more value. And uh, I'm very, I'm obsessed with value creation. Um, so I was like, well, you know, how do you create better quality content? It has to, it has to be unique. It has to be big. Like it has to have meaningful impact. But like the, when I say big, it has to deliver a disproportionate impact on, on the person consuming it. So it's not just a little bit. It's like, it needs to not, if it's like a nice insight, but very small, it's not big enough to have a wide enough impact. It's too specific. So it needs to be big enough. So you need to have, you need, it needs to be unique and it needs to be big enough and it needs to be specific. And when I say specific, I mean to, to an audience or, you know, you have to kind of have clarity over who's going to benefit from it. And I think a lot of the problems are there's too much content that's being produced. It's too thin. It doesn't add enough value. So there's a lot of content production. A very poor content distribution. And then the content is, I think niche can work well. Like if you're targeting a specific keyword on Google and you want to rank for that term and it's very relevant you have, and you go very deep into that, I think that has a place for it. But that's not thought leadership, is it? Thought leadership isn't a specific keyword and a specific topic. It's exactly the opposite. It's something that impacts the industry as a whole. It's not a very big. Um, and then I think the biggest problem is, when you stumble across something that you think is very insightful and interesting, or you commission something, or you're doing it in-house, it doesn't matter how you come across the production process, you're like, oh, this is great. Everyone should be interested in it. And then what you do if you're smart or lucky, um, I'm technically, you know, kind of, kind of grows myself in that second group where you have an amazing network of really smart marketeers and you show it to them and they challenge you and they go, who is this for? You're like, I thought it was for this. And they're like, no, no, no. That's not right. You should really be focusing on that. You're like, oh, I don't think about that. And then you do that eight, nine, 10, 20 times in my instance, we have 20 calls with like super smart, capable people. And then you really hone in and understanding how people perceive the value. And then you go, oh, I've got my audience. You have your content, you have your audience. Then you're just missing that, that distribution. But then if you have those three, you're going to have some impact. How good that impact is, you don't know, right? Because you don't know how people are going to perceive it. Um, 
but yeah, very interesting. You know, when I read a specific piece of content in a small circle of 10 very senior MarTech individuals, and we did it in a number survey at the end, they gave it a nine out of 10 score, which I was like, wow, I had, I like that exceeded my expectation as to mm. the impact it's going to have because I'm so deep in it. I just couldn't see the forest for the trees anymore. And so it's mm. a little bit more about the background of how I've come up, I guess, was how I came about to want to create it. And um, the actual stitching of it together was pure serendipity. I just saw an opportunity in the market. I just saw, I just saw an ability to leverage a tool that I have with this interesting data set that didn't go deep enough. And I thought if I merge them, what would that look like? And so I went on an experiment, on a route to experiment to try and figure that out. And I was just persistent with trying to drill and draw out insight. And I'm actually quite pleased with the result. Is it the best thing in the world? Obviously not, you know, with limited budget and time and resource. But um, I think that's it, it, actually kind of exceeded my expectations from when I first mm-hmm. came up with the idea. So I'm, I'm very delighted mm-hmm. with, with how it's progressing. Yeah. And, and as I said, I've, I've been through it and I've seen it. And, um, you know, we'll come on to a little bit about what it is in a minute. But I just wanted to sort of say that it's a real example of the whole idea. You know, the difference between thought leadership and content is the depth of something. It's the kind of thing that once you do it, you are the one that owns it. Because there are the barrier to entry to create it is, is so high, but the impact is also massive on an industry, on a type of level of client that you are looking to influence or have conversations with or bring on as a client. And it's the kind of thing that gets through the red velvet rope. And that I think is the key difference between content and thought leadership. It's kind. It's the kind of thing that not just get through the red velvet rope because you say to someone, you should look at my wonderful piece of thought leadership. It gets through that rope because other people will go, hang on, stop everything. I have to go and tell a lot of other people about this. And they will literally go and say, look, you've got to, you've got to look at this. Like this is a game changer. This is something that once you see, you are not going to unsee and it's going to change the way you think moving forward. And I think that's what you've got. So whether you think it's the best thing in the world or not, it's it's irrelevant because I've been through it and I can see exactly what's gone into it, but actually what it can actually do and the fact that it's an ongoing piece as well is also maybe a serendipitous thing or maybe it's a you know strategic thing. But um, yeah, I just want to sort of cover that. So why don't you give us um, just the sort of high level of, of what you have created sure. and why it is then something that is so disruptive. Sure, sure. So back in 2011, Scott Brinker, who runs Chief Martech, who was probably one of the more notorious thought leaders in that niche, he started mapping the technology marketing landscape. And he's been doing that since 2011. And every year he has a map that shows the growth of the Martech solutions. That's quite interesting because about 50% of people I speak to know exactly what I'm talking about. And 50% that I speak to have no idea what I'm speaking about. So it's quite interesting to see how different people within marketing have been exposed to it. But if you have exposure to marketing technology, you, you probably know it. If you're a senior, you definitely would have seen it. Um, the problem is with it, there's no problem, it's a really great piece of work, but what I guess my frustration with it was I didn't have a sense of who's who, like how big are they? They're all in a category. Like everyone's a programmatic or everyone's in analytics, but they're not all equal. Some of them are big and material and some of them aren't. So I wanted that depth, I wanted proportion. I didn't get enough depth on it, it was too flat. So what I did is um, I pitched an idea to some other web who I have a collaborate, I've collaborated with in the past in a great company. And I said, if I gave you this list of, um, of websites, can you get me three years worth of data? And they said, why? I said, well, I'm gonna create this thought leadership piece. I think it's gonna be really interesting. They're like, oh, that's an interesting idea, okay, let's do it. So they sent me the data, then sat for about a month and a half with a data scientist, super skilled. And we like, you know, really tease out the information to try and draw insight because you've got to create a narrative out of this like huge data set. It's really hard to do. Um, that's where you have a really great competent data scientist who can kind of help you highlight anomalies or outliers or things that are interesting. But I have, from my experience over the last 17 years, I know what's interesting to me and I know what's interesting to other people because I know what people are trying to achieve commercially, which is growth, you know, and a competitive advantage. So. So that's it. We, we did data, we enriched it, and then I've created a 26 slide deck out of it, which is just the kind of the tip of the iceberg of 
what you can do by having a big picture, an eagle eye view of all of this incredibly rich data. And it can go very, very granular and you can really slice it in lots of ways. But I wanted to just introduce it to the world and draw this big, like kind of like an economist views things or like an investor view things. What's the lay of the land? What does the landscape look like? Um, but, but very, from a marketeer's perspective, from traffic, I mean, total traffic, which for a marketeer, it's interesting. It's a metric that if you speak to every marketeer, they intuitively understand. But when I speak to non-marketeers, they say to me, why is traffic important? And they say, well, but the way a marketeer thinks is if you get one to 2% average conversion rate and you need to hit a certain KPI, the next metric is how much traffic do I need to achieve that? And then that's it. You just need to get that traffic number and you've achieved your goal. Obviously, relevant audience. So it's just like a basic formula that all marketeers, performance marketeers think in. So a marketeer so intuitively understands that metric, but non-marketeers don't. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that I need to articulate and explain that. And sometimes when I'm explaining, I realize so many different people have different unique perspectives on how they view something, an investor, a product person, a data analyst, an entrepreneur, a founder, a martech, like, you know, a founder, very different. And I need to kind of bridge that gap somehow to articulate the narrative to different audiences. And that's proven interesting, but also very complex to do. Um, mm. And what I'm trying to look for is the bell curve. I'm trying to look for what is the most amount of insight that's interesting for the majority of the people that I'm speaking to. Mm. But I had them, and I had people give me completely opposing insights, really interesting. One person comes and says, I want to see the whole landscape and I just want to see the top 1% of players. And I had someone else say, I don't care about the 1%, I want to see the 99%. And then you're like, wow, I have two completely different audiences or different needs here. And then you got to figure out who is my real audience, like who am I really interested in engaging with this? Yeah. And, and I mean, if, if you're listening to this and, and some of what Oren is saying is like slightly going over your head and you don't know what MarTech is or anything, it's what we're focusing on is not necessarily the content of what Oren has created. We're talking about the strategy that he is using to first create this piece and then what he's doing with it to attract both potential clients to his business, improve his um, authority status in the industry and all that kind of thing. So if some of those terms have gone over your head, don't worry too much. But um, again, a marketing like geek like me, I just lapped it up and I found it fascinating. But I just wanted to throw that in there. And the second thing that sort of comes to mind is that it's interesting the way that you describe the process of, of creating it and how you sort of, you know, you started with the end in mind. And that is what any good marketer would do in terms of, right, I'm creating some form of campaign. But it's also really the three key things that you would need to grow any kind of business. You need a product or a service that people actually want. Now, let's flip that with a thought leadership piece. You've uncovered a frustration that you had and you know others have with something out there that is already incredibly valuable. Then you've created your own spin on it. Then you were talking about um, the distribution piece. So it's like, or, or, or the piece itself, which is the message, right? So in order to sell anything, you need a message or an offer that resonates with a target audience. And then you need a distribution channel or a mechanism or a system to deliver that message. It's the same basic principles when it comes to growing a business as it is creating a piece of marketing as it is creating a piece of thought leadership. So I love the fact that this idea and this approach is principle based. I also want to pick up on another bit of that superpower there that you mentioned that you might not be aware of in that you talked about being able to pull stories from data. That is not easy. No, very hard. (laughs) And that's something as well that because of the depth and the nature, like you've gone with a data scientist to pull all this out. It's This will give you an idea that this is not something that is just a, oh, right, uh, thought leadership. I'm going to go and do something with thought leadership. No, it really does take the work and the effort. And it's not for the faint-hearted if you're not willing to do this um, and do the work. So, I mean, on that, so far, has it been worth the effort? Yeah, just to give you an instance, um, I reached out to four influencers who have reached out before and they've ignored me. And I pitched them this idea and I had a call with all four within like a week. And it's like, okay, that's really funny. And um yeah, I mean, it's also opened up collaborations and opportunity to do things at a much larger scale that I didn't expect. So I think mm-hmm. the, the level of insight and what it's done was really interesting. Like, you know, I had a call with someone really very influential, very specific, and he was just like, Oh, I need to make an intro to this guy. And I'm like, really? You're going to intro me to like one of the top world's top SaaS VCs? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, great. I had a call with that guy a week later. And I, 
it's funny, I literally emailed that guy two days before to say, oh, I was having a chat with this guy with was a mutual acquaintance. It'd be great to show you that he loved me. But then once the intro came in, he mm-hmm. suddenly got back to me within like five minutes. And I just thought, wow, that's funny. And um, so I've already started to see some really incredible um, traction with it. I've already got a panel set up with some um, top marketing influencers, actually. So we're just in the mix of, of working out the details of this. And that's going to be quite exciting. So I think that it's already proving to, to already have traction, which is positive. And it hasn't even been released yet, which is pretty cool. So why don't you give us um, a bit of an idea or a breakdown of then what you're planning to do with this and, and what's your, I don't, as a marketer, you might call it a campaign, but what's your strategy for rolling this out and then using it moving forward? And ultimately, what is the goal? Yes. Because similar web helped enrich the data, I have a partnership with them. And in any partnership, you're going to make sure your partner's happy. So the first thing is, I'm going to make sure they're happy. So I've got to do an official launch with them where they get the credit to their audience about this amazing piece of work. I can't really go public with it until that happens. So that's the first step. But in the meantime, you know, I, I had a chat with Scott Brinker, who's you know, the father of Martech, and I showed it to him. And it, and it was great to get his feedback and his insight, and that was great. And then he just said, you know, why don't we do a podcast for my audience? You know, we can, you know, we can discuss this. And, you know, I had a few of those since. And so, so part of it is, you know, this distribution and broadcasting of the content through podcasting and articles and, and content marketing. I think the key interesting strategy that came about was curating the audience and distributing it to the right audience. And I think that's where a lot of things go wrong in marketing campaigns. So to do that, I actually reached out to Rand Fishkin from Spactura. And for those of you who don't know, Rand is probably arguably one of the most notorious marketers in the world. Too. I think over 500,000 followers on Twitter. Um, you know, he gets almost 2.5 million people viewing his Twitter in a month. So he has like more reach than large B2B businesses do on LinkedIn. It's pretty crazy. Um, and I reached out to him and I said, you know, it'd be great to use the tool. And then, you know, he's, and then I invited him to speak on the panel. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to speak on the panel. So it works. Like, great to be on a panel with my fish games. And then I used his tool to find and figure out everyone who's in Martech, you know, based on their interests. And then I built the list. And then I'm reaching out and talking to those individuals to, to gauge and start a conversation. So initially you kind of get, get that momentum going. And what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to have two versions. One, which is, this is a video of me narrating it and you can consume it. And it's interesting. And one of it is the report itself, like a finalized report that you can access. But the key and the biggest challenge with marketing is distribution. That's where the real cost is, not just producing of the content and producing good high quality content is very expensive. So it's like the cost of really building something is so expensive. That's why so many companies mm-hmm. don't do it. But the thing is, the way companies try and hack around it is, I'm going to produce lots of low quality or average content in an attempt not to, but it doesn't work because it doesn't, doesn't do anything. And actually, it's better to just take big risk on, on this big thing rather than kind of just, you know, be very quiet for many years and not have the results that pointless. But I don't think businesses see it that way. They see that risk is in. That's too big a risk, but in actuality, that isn't the risk. What you're doing is a high risk by producing low quality, really high volume content. But anyway, so then what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to all these different influencers and say, I'd love to get your feedback and thoughts on this in the piece that I release. And they're going to go, great. So then I'm going to get a piece of feedback from them. And then when I release it as well, I'm going to tag them and they're going to say, hey, I contributed to this piece of amazing content. Then it goes to their audience. But you do that across 50 people and suddenly you're getting reach in the tens of millions. So that's, a, that's effectively the most important lever. There's obviously another lever, which is paid distribution, getting custom audiences on Facebook, custom audiences on Twitter, custom audiences on LinkedIn, and distributing it to the right people in the right roles and the right companies who I believe are going to be interested. So that's my kind of three-prong strategy mm. on how to distribute this piece of content. Mm. And, and, and I love it. I love the fact that um, your first piece is all about um, essentially partnering and, and finding people that share an audience and you know you have a, a mutual audience overlap that you have something incredibly valuable and you are going to them and saying would you or then therefore your audience find this valuable and you're you know you're giving it and and let's be honest most people with an audience and a lot of people don't really consider this they think oh these guys you know they're they're massive and they're not going to be interested in me and all the rest of it but if you give them something that makes them look like a rock star they'll want to talk to you and I think that touches a little bit on what you were talking about, that the risk involved in just 
basically producing thin content, but doing it regularly, as opposed to going deep, really nailing down something that is very, very in-depth, specific, and really, really valuable that nobody else can do, then you get people's attention. And as you said, that's not a risk. The risk is going after all these potential influencers or um, partnerships or whatever it is with thin content and just getting a lot of no's before you get a few yeses and essentially potentially burning the bridges with all of those in the process because they're like, well, this isn't particularly good. What what am I doing? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm going to remember, I'm not going to go with this guy. I'm not going to talk to him. You know, he's going to take a while to get back up to uh, potentially having a conversation about actually doing something. So there is a big risk there um, by not doing it. And um, yeah, so what is it ultimately that you think that this is going to do? I mean, obviously you have no idea in where this could go, but what do you see this doing for your business? Is it is it a bottom line thing? Is it something where you can expand out into different areas, services? Like, what's the um, what, what's the sort of the uh, the tangible outcome that you are hypothesizing at this point for your thought leadership piece? Yeah, got it. Um, I just want to um, just recap on a step I missed in the previous question that you asked me. I'm just going to recap on that step and then answer this. I forgot to mention that I'm treating this piece of content like I would treat a SaaS product. So I go and I validate it with people before I'm focusing on distribution. And that's a really important step. So talking to these, um, you know, thought leaders and very senior people isn't only to build a partnership. It's actually to authentically get feedback on how to improve it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I'm on my 15th version of this piece of content now. And that's 15 yeah. versions because I've got feedback from like 20 people. So it takes yeah. a long time to iterate. So that's a very important um, initial step I forgot to mention. I think it's worth mentioning it. But now to answer your current question, you know, I'm positioned as a chief growth officer and I come in as an advisor, a non-exec, but I also come in as kind of an interim to help build a team and structure and deliver growth for that business. So what are people really buying when they're buying me? Like, what do they, you know, they, yes, they want growth, but why me? And like, why, why even bring me in? And the, if you really sum it up, it'd be like, well, he's got the experience and the knowledge to do it. But how do they formulate their thinking about me having that experience and knowledge? It's because of social proof. It's my testimonials. It's my case studies. So for that, I've contributed to over a hundred articles. I've spoken on dozens of podcasts. So when you have a choice between Oren, the CGO, and another or whatever consultant or whoever it is, effectively it's the sum of my total brand, which is going to impact them as, as, as more going with me to help them grow their business. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, being associated with influencers in marketing by being featured in the most impressive publication, whether that was featured in the consultancy, which is probably one of the leading digital marketing publications in the UK, it builds authority and people want to have authoritative experts help them. We don't live in a world of generalists anymore. Generalists, they're commoditized. So how do you, how are you perceived as an expert? Because other people say you're an expert. Everyone says you're an expert. That's what other people tend to believe. So mm-hmm. really it's a perception game, but it isn't a perception mm-hmm. game because if I wasn't an expert, I wouldn't get onto the publications. I wouldn't get onto the podcast. I wouldn't have the confidence to speak authoritatively. I wouldn't become believable. And I've had that. You know, I've done I've got to speaking events. I was speaking event a little while ago. And the guy who was co-speaking with me, he we were both in the bathroom and he just kept having he kept having to go to the toilet because he was so nervous. And he just said, How are you so calm? And I said, um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know how to answer that. I guess um I meditate. I mean, I don't know what how to, I, you know, I why should I be nervous? I don't understand why are you why are you nervous? Mm. And I realized very courageous. He's stepping out of his shadow to grow as a human being, to challenge himself. But I think he pushed himself a little too far. If he's having to go to the toilet every five minutes because it's so nice. We go onto the panel. He talks, I talk, and then QA. And people start asking questions. And the answers he's giving them are wrong. And I was like, oh, this is really cringing. So I have to intervene, but I feel the responsibility. I didn't have to do anything. I feel the responsibility to steer people in the right direction. Like, you know, it's like every wants to be influential or authoritative. But in reality, it's like this quote from Spider-Man, like with great powers, great comes great responsibility. And the truth is, if you're a human being and connecting empathically to others, 
you know that families are losing sleep at night if their business isn't performing. Like you know that people are having a hard time and they want to grow and they need to feed their kids, you know? It's like, if you're giving someone the wrong advice, it's like, imagine going to a doctor and he gives you wrong advice. That like really adversely impacts your health. And I think I have a fiduciary responsibility. And I guess part of, of building this authority, patient thought leadership is validating to others and giving them access to my 17 years of experience because no one knows what's going on inside my head. They haven't seen the 35 businesses I've helped. They haven't seen the hundreds of people that I've interviewed. They haven't seen the, the systems and the infrastructure. They haven't seen the results. And people have been scorned. They've had very bad experiences with a lot of marketing consultants. So mm. how do you differentiate yourself in the sea of, of scarred founders? Um, I guess that part of my, I, I guess my answer to that is you're going to be perceived as a world-class expert. And for mm. me, this is a good goal. Um, I have no plan on monetizing this piece of content. I think it's, it's this longevity that will keep, I think it's a fruit that will keep on giving as a tree. I think I'll be able to repurpose it and uh, reuse it. And I think it will become this thing where people want to find out every six months, how has the landscape changed? And I see this mm. as, as, as like a, a perpetual evergreen piece of content. Um, and it's I a think smart it will, strategy. Yes. It is a smart strategy because that then solves, you know, you've put a lot, you know, it's a bit like you talked about earlier and we discussed it's, it, you know, people see a risk in going deep and going, you know, into a, into a particular area and they concentrate on the thin, the thin sort of content. But actually this, having done the initial hard work, this answers a lot of your challenges for a lot later. It's like, well, what kind of content do I create? What kind, you know, what am I doing? There? This is giving you that perpetual piece that you can consistently draw from and it's, because it's based on data, you can update it and you can give updates and all the rest of it. And people will keep tuned because they'll want to hear what's happening next. I mean, especially like in light of the current lockdown and all the, th- the things that's happening economically and the shift in a landscape. I can imagine that people that are reading or, or sort of seeing this piece. I mean, the question that I had was, well, this is interesting. The landscape has shifted. But is this a short-term thing based on the current situation or is this a long-term trend that is going to continue? And therefore, where is the next level of hyper-growth in business of this type going to come from? Now, I couldn't answer that because I don't have access to the data. You do. I will be keeping tabs on what you're doing for the next iteration in order to find out the answer to that question. So it really does answer so many of the you know, if you're if you're someone out there listening to this and thinking, right, well, it all kind of sounds good, but you know, I do all of that work and then it's sort of done, and then I just sort of blah blah. blah. No, it doesn't. It gives you ammo. It gives you simplicity and clarity on the kind of content that you create because ultimately, marketing it, you're not talking about yourself. Like Oren is not in this piece talking about himself or his business. He is talking about the problem that he knows people are struggling with. And that is, I think, often the key to marketing that most people in marketing, sometimes even themselves, just miss completely. You're not marketing you, your business, your service. You're marketing the problem that somebody or an ideal client is facing and you're bringing them into that and then educating them along on how to potentially solve it and then positioning what you do as one of the solutions. And that's as simple as it can be, but obviously there's a lot that goes into it. So, um, yeah, and I also think the whole thing that you've covered there, the key word is thought leadership. It's leadership and what you dis- you, de- you demonstrate there with your story and, you know, the, the you know, going on stage and, and, and feeling that responsibility, that's leadership. Like it's, it's, it's beyond just passively sitting back and just letting things happen. Like you are out of, a lot of people find it uncomfortable to put themselves out there and all the rest of it, but you would go out and do something because you have a you feel a responsibility for a person, an industry, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's a key. Like you can't do this as a tactic. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think the symptom nowadays of why so many people fail is because they're, they're trying but they're not really feeling wholeheartedly about trying. They're just, it's like the marshmallow test. Are you willing to give up the immediacy for the long-term gain? And I think that's a question of like passion and values and what you're really interested in. I think a lot of people want to make more money or become famous or become influential, 
but not go through the process of becoming the person who those things happen to as a symptom of their journey. And the question is, are you willing to endure the journey up the mountain or do you just want to be flown to the top to say, I did this amazing journey? Like, you don't go up to Mount Everest to get to the peak. Like, that's the illusion. You think you are, but you're not. You're going to Mount Everest for the journey of the hardship of who are you going to become when you get to the top. But if I just flew you to the top and I said, hey, how was that as an experience, let alone other people's perception of like this guy just, or this person just went up to the mountain and didn't do the work to get there. Mm-hmm. And they don't value it because that wasn't what it was about. Also, who have you become as the person who just took the shortcut rather than went through the arduous route of becoming who you want to be? And I think leadership is the, I mean, I don't perceive myself as a leader because I don't think a leader is a static noun. I think it's a verb. And I think you're, you're either leading or you're not leading or you're always becoming a leader or you're not becoming a leader. And it's by your behavior and your actions. And I think it's a, a way of life and a way of being. And I think it's about growing and challenging yourself to become better. And I think it's our, like evolutionary, our psychological and Maslow's hierarchy of needs to get to the next stage to become, to unlock and, and become more, to give more value to others. And the more value you give to others, they elevate you because they benefit, you know? And then, um, you know, I posted like a LinkedIn status the other day and I got like five DMs from people just saying, wow, this was amazing. And I was like, it's so interesting. They didn't comment on the thread. Like they liked it, but they didn't comment. And then I realized they were too shy to comment, but they were comfortable because they wanted to build a relationship because they were inspired because they felt like I delivered value. Then one person wrote a really funny comment like yesterday. He said, um, giving away strategy for free. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting way to view it. I don't view it that way. I view it that I added value to people's lives. And if I lived a day where I add value to others, that was a good day lived. So it's like, what an interesting, different perception. Mm-hmm. He's holding on to his strategy and his ideas and his thinking and his experience, holding it really close to people that take it away. And in my mind, it's the opposite. Like, how do I give more? So I'm more challenged, so I have to grow to then give more. And it's like, this is such a small piece of insight from 70 years of experience of doing this day in, day out, like, you know, all day long, that if, if I'm so precious about this little piece of insight, they shouldn't hire me because how much value, how am I going to tackle it when the real problem comes along? Something I need to yeah. adapt to, something I need to figure out because like yeah. problems aren't static, they're constantly changing. So it's a mindset to how you adapt. And as a, as an expert specialist, a lot of the problems I'm dealing with, a lot of them are new. Not all of them. I'd say 20, 30%. A lot of them are very common. But the 20, 30%, when they do come along, they're whoppers and you gotta like really focus to deliver. And with that attitude, I think it's not the right attitude what that person is conveying. So I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's part of it is like how you live. And I think it's much deeper than just a, a skill concept. I think it's a, a belief system. It's a value system. It's the sum of, you know, my experiences going to China to do Kung Fu. Doing a silent meditation retreat for 10 days in the, in the Himalayas, you know, going scuba diving in Andaman Islands and was drowning. You know, it's like these experiences shape my character and the work is an extension of my being and my being is a sum of my experience today. But who I've become is by challenging myself constantly on a personal and professional level. And I think mm-hmm. that is, in my opinion, the best definition of the leader I want to become. Now, it doesn't matter where I am. There's some people that are here, some people that are here. It's like, we're unique and we have our own journey, but it's like, you got to find your own resourcefulness and um, strategies to adapt, to become who you want to be. That's, I guess, how I view it. And um, in that answer, I think you get a real insight into, I guess, the certainly the, the, the mindset that's required to even really create a genuine piece of thought leadership. And it starts there. Like it really does. Because if you're just thinking, oh, well, this is a tactic I can use to, you know, get into a few companies and, you know, win some more business. Yes, ultimately that will be a byproduct. But the real reason to do it, which will make it a real piece of thought leadership is all the things that you've just gone through there. That is a real sort of leadership mindset. And it isn't something that necessarily just comes overnight. It's something that comes from a life lived in a particular way and the way that you have responded to circumstances and situations as they've come up. And 
maybe the simple way to sort of talk about it is it's the difference between the uh, the abundance and the scarcity mindset, the growth mindset as opposed to the closed mindset. And, you know, by, I mean, I, I get it a lot as well. Um, people that um, are very, very reluctant to sort of give things away. It's like, well, if you're putting things behind a wall, if you're putting a barrier up to actually people finding out, they don't know what's behind the wall. So why are they going to bash it down to try and get it? They're not. So you need a way to be able to open it up. And I think this is a fantastic example of doing it. So, um, Oren, I, I can't quite let you go before I, um, I ask you around, you know, you've got 17 years of experience in here. If you were to sort of give your sort of top three um, tips, ideas or things to go and consider that somebody could go away and, and do after listening to this podcast when it comes to um, attracting more clients to their business from a B2B perspective, what would they be? Yeah, I think it's either build it in-house or source a company. I mean, if anyone's listening and they're not sure, they can send me a message. I'll, I'll share some, some companies that do this. But you can hire a specialist market research company to produce great content and unique content. So you got to distinguish you know, content marketing, you're going to say something new that's not being said out there. And that requires budget and effort and thinking. I think the second is people by people. And if you're the CEO, founder, or even a marketer who wants to grow your thought leadership and, and become an authority, become an expert, you got to be out there. you got to be communicating and broadcasting either in written form, blog posts or articles or guest blog posts on authority sites or producing video or being a podcast host or being a podcast guest, right? And you got to get yourself out there and get your name out there to build your authority and expert and not be afraid. It's not not be afraid, be afraid. You know, we're all afraid all the time. Like we all, like if you're not afraid, you're not really taking on meaningful challenges. Like it's not about not being afraid. It's about being afraid and doing it anyway. And I think be afraid and do it anyway and, and make mistakes and fuck up and look bad. I mean, God knows how many mistakes I've made. I mean, literally every week is just like literally mistakes. And that's great because if I'm not making mistakes, I'm not trying new things. I'm not trying new things. I'm not growing. I'm not growing. I might as well be dead, right? So I think yeah. my view is don't be afraid to get out there and produce good quality. And I think the third is always start with why is the other person in front of you? What are they really wanting and looking for? Like, what is their interest in this? Like I got this week, I had three people messaging me, asking me for things. And I just ignored them. And then one of them was like, you know, why are you ignoring me? I want this from you. And it's just like, well, it's not the right approach. Like you've got to give before you ask. And it's like, I'm very busy. I've got like my clients I need to take care of. I've got my team I need to take care of. This like this random person I don't know is not a priority. Mm -hmm. So if you're reaching out to people and they're not responding, it's because you haven't delivered enough value. So instead of yeah. asking for value or taking, focus on giving. And actually it's very interesting because people who give and people approach me with the giving mindset, it opens a reciprocal relationship. And a lot of those people for years now, we've had a, a symbiotic relationship. I have that with like hundreds of, of people that are like two or 300 trusted contacts and we nurture each other. Like if it's sharing content, mm -hmm. and like, you know, and that, and that takes a huge amount of energy to maintain my network. These are people you compound a relationship with over a year. So I have a long-term view. I think the best piece of advice I came across this the other day was imagine every call you have with someone, you're getting married with them and you're going to experience this person for the rest of your life. That really changes what you're saying in this conversation. Like you, if you really think about, shit, I'm going to literally see this person next week, you may not choose to say that sentence you're about to say. And mm -hmm. if you think about that, I think it's a very healthy way to think about how to treat people well and how to think about a super relationship. And that's worked really well for me. Like I'm a, I mean, it's not to say everyone uses a strategy. I have people who use me and I give them like two, three shots. And after about two, three shots, I cut them. And then that's the end of that relationship. Yeah. But that's one in five. And then you've got four amazing relationships for every one bad relationship. That's a damn good ratio. And that's how, you know, I think that's a, a key part of being successful. Those are my three um, ad hoc on, on the off the cuff tips. Well, I like to, uh, I like to put people on the spot sometimes because, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the thought process that goes into answering some of those than it is the actual answers themselves. And yeah, I, I, th I, I, I agree with certainly the, the relationship piece. Um, building reciprocal relationships is a key part of, of, of the methodology that I use. Alliances, it's so key. 
um, because a lot of people just try and focus on the person in front of them and they don't consider everything behind them and that you don't need to sell anything to someone. You need to build a relationship to find out the struggles that they have and then potentially be able to help them. Um, that might be with what you do. It may be with a connection that can help. I mean, you've even done it on this podcast. You even said, uh, if, uh, if you don't know anyone that does this, you know, reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with a few companies I know. Like, that's not you selling what you do. That is actually genuinely offering to help if somebody likes the ideas of that. And, and it's the whole thing of growing and all the rest of it. And it's a shame I haven't got it here. It's sort of stand, it's sitting over there. I've got a, I, I used to be massively into snowboarding and lived in Canada and taught and all the rest of it. But I've got a picture up there that my wife created for me for my, uh, for one of my birthdays. And it says, if you're not falling, you're not learning. And I think that is a key thing to as well to, to, to remember and bear in mind. So, um, you know, on that, um, before I, uh, you know, potentially fall down, um, why don't you let everybody know the best place to connect with you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it, you know, Twitter? And then is there anything that, um, you know, uh, that you might have that, uh, people could benefit from? Sure. So I think if you just follow me on LinkedIn, then I can also post and you can uh, sign up for the SmartTech piece. So anyone who's interested in the SmartTech project, then happy to uh, share that publicly. So to keep uh, tabs on, on the updates there. But LinkedIn is definitely the best place. I also um, post quite frequent content on there and we are happy to have people participate involved and comment. That'd be great. And it's uh, Oren Greenberg, isn't it? And is, is, is that the URL or? Um... Um, LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Oren Green is the URL. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it will be in the show notes as well. So if you want to just uh, click and I'm sure um, there's not many people out there called Orin that I've uh, ever met before. I think you're the first. So if you just search, I'm sure I'm sure you'll come up pretty quickly. So um, yeah, I should come Oren, up on the Google for number, the first stuff on my name. Yeah. If not, I shouldn't work in marketing. <laughs> well, um, Orin, I just want to say thank you ever so much. Um, what um, what listeners won't be aware of that um, you are still suffering from a bit of a, a sore throat. Um, we had to push this back, but um, yeah, you are, you've been a trooper and you've pushed through. So um, I'm really, really glad we did. I think this has been an excellent conversation and I know that a lot of people listening um, are going to have got an awful lot of value. So Oren, thank you ever so much for joining me on the show and happy fishing. So there we go. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some great ideas and, and found it really valuable. And you've got some things that you can now go off and do in your own business to help grow your business and attract and catch more clients. And if you have found it valuable and you can think of just one other person that may find some of these ideas helpful and, and, and help them grow their business, please share it with them because they'll thank you for it. So also don't forget to grab a copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing from the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And all that's really left with me to say is thank you ever so much for listening today. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there you could be listening to. You've chosen this one. And for that, I am truly, truly grateful. If you're a first time listener or a, or a long time listener and you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do because you'll get updated of the latest episodes every time they come out. And if, again, you are enjoying it, I'd really, really appreciate a honest rating review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one personally, and they do really mean the world to me. And yes, they help others find the show. If you're able to do that, again, I massively, massively appreciate it. But until next time, happy fishing.